0: The text for this morning's message will be 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a well-known passage to many of us, a well-loved passage, and for many reasons, Paul writing to the church of Corinth here, I want to pick up in the 15th chapter. We'll be reading verse 1 through verse 4 for this morning's text, 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 1 through verse 4. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We bow our hearts just now asking for your Spirit to move upon us, to open our minds, to open our hearts to what the Word says, Lord, to the hope that you have given us, that we would leave here with uh, changed hearts and strengthened minds, and we ask that you do the work that you can only do Keep the distractions away from us, Lord. Help us to be captivated by your word. And I ask that you give me strength to say what is needed, nothing more and nothing less. We ask for your help just now and that you may receive all the glory for the things that you do. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So if you haven't noticed by now, Uh, we really don't make much ado about holidays. Just not something that we do. They kind of come and go, and uh, the dates on the calendar just roll by. They go by without much special recognition. You're probably not, like ever, going to hear me preach a St. Patrick's Day sermon, or maybe a a Valentine's Day sermon. Probably not. Uh, Maybe, like Father's Day or Mother's Day or Memorial Day, Maybe. I think I've done those in the past. But for the most part, the calendar just kind of rolls on. Our focus is not really on those little words on the bottom of the date in the little square on your calendar. Our focus is the gospel and the kingdom week after week. That's what we are called to be about. However, there's a couple times a year that we actually do pay attention, right? One of those is Christmas. Now, I think we all know and we all are assured that December 25th is not Jesus' birthday. But yet, it is still a wonderful chance to bring the joyful news of the, who, of the Savior who came for us to the world. It's a wonderful opportunity that I think we do well to take advantage of, to speak of the birth of Christ. But even Christmas, with all of its joy and all of the things that surround that, even that pales somewhat in comparison to the actual, historical, holy day that occurs this month. And that is the resurrection day. world calls it Easter. I want you to know right now, in case there were any doubt, it has nothing to do with eggs. It has nothing to do with a giant bunny who somehow gets into your house and leaves stuff for you it has nothing to do with that. but what it does have everything to do with is the proven, eyewitnessed historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he is alive forevermore. No, he is not dead. He is alive, He is risen, and we serve a risen Savior. Can I get an amen on that? That's what we believe and that is why it is so important to us. And I believe that this is one holiday, if you want to call it, that all of God's people should celebrate. In fact, we do so every week just by the fact that we meet on a Sunday morning. But this is something we ought to pay special attention to. We ought to be thankful in. We ought to rejoice in because it matters so much. But why? I mean... Why does it matter so much? Why do we make such a big deal about it? I mean, is it really that important? Does it really matter that much? Well, yes, a thousand times, yes, it matters that much. It is that important. And I'm sure I'll repeat this many times over the next couple of weeks, but the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead is everything. It is everything. It means everything. It is the proof of the redemptive work on the cross. It is the proof that He is the Christ. It is the proof that He is the Savior. It is proof that He is God, just to mention four things. So yes, it matters that much. But it's not just those facts that matter. It means something for us. The resurrection means something for you. And so the goal is over the the next four weeks to kind of bring that to light. Why does it matter so much? Why does it mean so much? And hopefully as we do, it's not just information. It's one thing to know something, but it's another thing to know it in your heart and make it true and make it personal. And maybe we know some things about the resurrection, like, yeah, it happened, but maybe that connection hasn't been made in our own hearts of, of what it means for me and how I'm supposed to live because of it. So hopefully we can make those connections um, where it takes root in our heart, we begin to live it out, because again, this means everything. So for the first message in this series, there's something I want us, us to consider, and that is that the resurrection was promised. The resurrection was promised. In fact, the title for the message is, Why Does It Matter? It was promised. It was promised. This was something that was planned, okay? Jesus rising from the dead wasn't a spur-of-the-moment, knee-jerk reaction. Like God said, oops, they killed Him, what do I do now? He is never up there fretting. There's no plan B with God, there is God's plan and God's will. And the resurrection is part of that. In fact, not only was it planned, it was promised, and I think us looking at this fact, in Scripture is going to help to lay a foundation in our hearts and minds as we go along. All of this was promised. So the first point this morning for those of you who take notes is that the Scripture spoke of it. The Scripture spoke of it. Look in verse 1 and verse 2 as we, we dig in a little bit here. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Paul's focus here is the gospel. It is the message that we are to declare. That's what he says. This is the message I declared to you. And not only did I declare it, I preached it. It is something to be heralded. You know, some people have a weak... um, A weak mind, a weak approach, that's what I'm looking for. They have a weak approach when it comes to the gospel. Well, you know, Jesus, he's this really nice guy and he was the savior and, and you probably should believe in him because if not, you go to hell and you, know, you, you ought to do that soon. That's not how we are to treat the gospel. It says the gospel is to be preached Man is a sinner. He is lost. He is bound for hell, condemned by his own sin. The only hope that we have for atonement, the only hope we have for redemption, is the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you must believe that before you pass from this life into eternity. The time is now. Today is the day of salvation. That is how we are to handle the gospel. We are to preach it. And Paul says, I preached it because it is the message that must be received not just known, not just talked about, received personally. Each one of these members here at the church of Corinth had heard Paul's gospel, has heard Paul's preaching of the gospel, they had received it for themselves, and that that is what Paul is saying. You heard me declare it, you heard me preach it, you received it, and ye have been saved by it. It is the message that saves us eternally from the damning power of sin, presently from its control over our lives. And it says, wherein ye stand. We stand in the gospel as believers, justified and righteous before God. And as we remember what the gospel has done, we live for Him and are obedient to Him. This is the most important message ever. And that's what Paul's focus is here. That's what he's hitting at here. And I want you to notice what it consists of, okay? Look there in verse 3. Here's what I preach to you. He says it again, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I had also received, by the way which he received straight from the Lord himself. Out in the desert in Arabia, he had some instruction, some schooling from Christ himself, and he now is giving what He has received. He says, I delivered to you the first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Do you see what the Gospel consists of? It's not just the cross. We talk a lot about the cross, and rightly so. Because on the cross, the blood was shed that bought our redemption. But it's not just the cross, it's also the grave. And not just the cross and the grave, but it's the cross, the grave, and the empty grave. In fact, if you take one of those out, you have a problem. It's all three. Without the empty grave, He is not victory over sin and death. Without the grave, He was not buried. Did He really die? Without the cross, you do not have the blood shed for redemption. It is all three. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the Gospel. Plus nothing, minus nothing. And all of it, long before prophesied, It was told it would happen before it happened. Multiple times. Look at the end of verse 3 and the verse 4. What does he say? How that Christ died according to the Scriptures. How that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul makes a point to say that. Well, yeah. Like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John Scriptures, right? Paul must have read the Gospels. That's where he got his information. So he says, just look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No. No, not those Scriptures. Those had yet to be written, some of them. No, like the bigger portion of your Bible Scriptures. Like Genesis to Malachi Scriptures. This is the Old Testament that he's talking about. The Old Testament which is so precious on which the New Testament stands. You know, I heard a song on the radio. I'm trying trying to, to broaden my horizons. Okay, I'm a pretty old school guy. I like hymns. I'd take... Great is Thy faithfulness. Come, Thou fountain of every blessing. All is well with my. It is well with my soul. I take those songs hand down any day. It's just me, my opinion. But I'm trying to broaden my horizons to see what other songs of worship are out there, and there's some really good ones, surely. And I heard a song that had this phrase in it: "Thank God for the red letters." I think it was in reference to John three sixteen. And beautiful song, beautiful message. Thank God for the red letters. Well, I get it. Thank God for what Jesus said. And thank God for all His words. But you must understand, the red letters stand on, and the red letters exist because of the black letters. We don't take one half of the Bible and throw it away. Without the Old Testament, we have no foundation for the things that we do. It is that important. And within the Old Testament, declared boldly, declared clearly, is the very gospel itself. It's there. Paul says in verse 3 I delivered to you that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. His death is in the Old Testament. Well, that's a New Testament occurrence. Is it there in the Old Testament? Well, yes. It's hinted at in Genesis chapter 3, as the curse is pronounced, that the one who would crush the head of Satan would receive a wound himself. In fact, it's hinted at in the animal that was slain to give covering for Adam and Eve. It's pictured in Genesis 22 as Abraham goes to offer Isaac and God Himself says, I will provide Myself the lamb. It's pictured in the brass serpent of Numbers chapter 21 and 9. Look and live. In fact, Jesus Himself says, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. A direct connection to the Old Testament. Now listen, listen to the phrases from Psalm 22. This is written by David. Listen what this says. Verse 1, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Again, he says, all they that see me, laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord, let the Lord deliver him. Again, he says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bones. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me to the dust of death. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. It's there. Daniel says in his book in chapter 9 and verse 26 that Messiah will be cut off. Zechariah 13, 6 and 7 says this, They will ask Him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then He shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Over and over and over again, the Old Testament declares the death of Christ. But none clearer than Isaiah 53. And I'd like you to turn there. Isaiah 53, a passage that could be rightly called the gospel of the Old Testament. And just so you know, the chapter really begins in 52 and verse 13. That's where you should pick it up. If you like to make notes in your Bible, I draw an arrow up to there, because this starts there. And listen as it describes what will happen. Isaiah 52 and 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently... He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. So he shall sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. This is in direct opposition to what the Jews and Israel had in their minds when they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for this handsome, strapping guy that would come and deliver them. And it says right here, He's not any different than you or me. He's not anything special. You look at Him and you don't say, wow, that must be Him. Jesus was just like you and me. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities or crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon Him and with His stripes are we healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way and the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, and for the transgression of my people was he stricken. It's there. The Scriptures declare the death of Christ long before He came. It's there, it's clear, it's unmistakable. So Paul knows exactly what he's saying. When I delivered to you that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This is not a new plan. This is the plan. From the fall of man, this has been the plan. Actually, before then, this has been the plan. Notice, by the way, if you wonder if the Old Testament talks about His burial, it does right there in verse 9. And He made His grave with the wicked. And with the rich in His death, because He had done no violence, neither was any deceit in His mouth. Okay, so the death is there. The death is promised. The cross is promised. But didn't Paul also say that the resurrection was too, right? He said, not only did I tell you about how Christ would die according to the Scriptures, but that He would rise again the third day according to the Scriptures. So is that here too? Is the resurrection in the Old Testament? Well, sure it is. It's also implied in Genesis 22, when Abraham says about going up the mountain with Isaac, We shall return. The boy will come back down with me. Knowing that God would raise him from the dead if his life was required. Psalm 16, verse 10 says, For thou wilt not leave thy soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 2 says this, After two days He will revive us, in the third day He will raise us up, and we shall live in His sight. And you're in Isaiah 53, look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him, He hath put Him to grief. When thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin, here it is, He shall see His seed, He shall prolong His days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. He shall see the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied. You see that there? This is talking about the resurrection. He will see His seed. He will prolong His days. He will see the travail of His soul. You can't do that if you're dead. You do that if you're alive. This is talking about not only the death and burial of Christ, but it is also in reference to the resurrection of Christ. It's there and it's understood. Listen, just because we don't maybe understand the Old Testament or we're not as familiar with the Old Testament as some other people were, as certainly Paul was and Peter was, it doesn't mean it's any less true. It's there. This is the scriptures they used. These are the scriptures that were preached, that brought the church, that brought people into the church. It was from the Old Testament. Christ was proclaimed. And thousands upon thousands were saved long before any part of the New Testament was written. Maybe we ought to get back in the black letters a little bit and see the depth and the riches that are there. And it was understood. Peter says this in Acts chapter 3. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all His prophets that Christ should suffer, He hath so fulfilled. God has fulfilled what He said. Paul says this in Acts chapter 26 as he speaks before King Agrippa. I continue to this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer, that He should be the first that should rise from the dead. He says, I'm not saying anything different other than what the whole Old Testament says that Christ should suffer and rise from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, last example of this, in Luke chapter 24, the Bible speaks uh, and says of Christ that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I would have loved to have been there and heard that. Jesus goes through the Bible and says, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. And He says again, He said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And He says, thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to do what He did. All that to say, this was promised. The resurrection was promised. It was decreed. And do you understand that God does not go against His word ever? Never does He go against His word. When He says it, He will do it. And He said, I'm going to send my son to die for sins. And He did it. He said, my son will rise again from the dead. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, he says, I will hasten my word to perform it. So not only was it promised, but when you read those things, you can know it was a promise that would be kept 100%. So the scriptures speak of it. Point number two, Jesus spoke of it. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Just one phrase here that I want to look at. What did Jesus say about it? Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. Mark 8 and 31. Then he, Jesus, began to teach them. What is he teaching them? Listen, that the Son of Man must, must. If I were you, I'd underline that in your Bible. Not will, not may, must, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The Son of Man must rise again after three days. This is going to happen. Verse 32, and He spake that saying openly. He's not hiding it. This isn't a secret. Doesn't Paul tell Agrippa these things were not done off in a corner? Everybody knows what happened. It was out in the open. Jesus is saying these things must happen. They're going to happen. In fact, so much that Peter comes along, right? Peter took him and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Oh, Peter, how often I've been just like him. You understand what Peter's doing? How bad it is, and that's why he gets the response. Jesus saying, this must happen. And Peter says, no, 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 hold on a second. Far be it from you to ever suffer this. You know who wants to stop, who wanted to stop what was going to happen? Satan. Why do you think Jesus says what he does? What does he say? Verse 32, he spake that saying openly. Peter took him, began to rebuke him. But when he turned about and looked on the disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. This must happen. This is going to happen. Don't stand in my way. That's what Jesus is saying. It must happen because it was declared in the Word. It was declared openly that this was no secret. Jesus made no bones about it. I am the one who will perform this. And if you notice in the rebuke of Peter what does he say you are not savoring the things that be of God These things are from God This is the redemption plan that was promised Jesus is the ransom given for sinners Does it not he say himself I didn't come to serve I didn't come to be served but serve and give my life as a ransom for many This is going to happen this is the plan So, again, let's add to this. The thing that matters most to us, the thing that we are focusing on, the resurrection, this was planned, this was decreed by God's sovereignty, this was sealed in stone long before it happened, it was openly attested to by the One who would do it, and I hope this solidifies in your mind the thing we're about to speak of next, because here's where we make it personal. Okay, The Scripture spoke of it, Jesus spoke of it last point this morning. All of this speaks to us. All of this speaks to us. Here is why all of what we've just spent the last 20 minutes on is so important it clarifies God's character for us. He keeps His promises. You understand that? God keeps His promises. Look at all that happens in the Gospels. All of that, every one of it is fulfillment of God's promises. He promised the Gospel. Did He not? We just saw that. He promised the Gospel and then He fulfilled it. He promised it from creation to Jesus. When Jesus shows up, He did exactly what He said He would do. There never was a doubt. There never was any wavering. It was going to happen. So... If God did that, then He will surely keep, He will surely perform all of the promises that are given to us in the resurrection. All the promises that are given to us because of the resurrection. Because God keeps His word. And there are so many. Romans chapter 4, 25 says this, He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. You understand what that means? It's a done deal. The debt is paid for sin. Salvation is sealed for those who believe. Why? Because He rose again from the dead. I can look without a doubt to the cross and know who my Savior is. Why? Because He proved what He did on that cross by coming out of the grave three days later. He was raised again to seal our justification. So I can trust in him with all of my heart and know that my salvation is secure in the one who has defeated sin and death. Oh, some trust in man, some might trust in works, and they are always on shaky ground. Not me. I know where my eternity lies. Why? Because that grave is empty. My Savior is risen. That's a promise God keeps. John 11, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Yes, we believe that. That is what we hold to. That is our hope, that I have been made alive by Christ. And then when my eyes close in death here, I will live forevermore in eternity with Him. That is the hope that we hold to. A promise that God keeps, proven by the resurrection. And it gives us a path for our life. Not only is my salvation secured, but the path for my life and how I am supposed to live, that has been laid out for me too because of the resurrection. Notice what it says in Romans 6 and 4. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Do you see what it's done? Just as Christ was raised up from the dead, I am to be baptized and come out of those waters and walk a new life, a resurrection life, one that is brand new and right now. You know, some people act like our life kicks in when we die, like when heaven comes, it's really going to take hold. No, it's right here and right now on this earth, in this body. I am to be living a resurrection life, one that is new, one that is not only glorifying Him, but full of His glory. A new creation living in His power. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 if you would. I want you to see this in your own Bibles and read this with your own eyes, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writing here to Ephesus, and I want to look in verse 15. Ephesians 1 and verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. This is what Paul's prayer is, not only for him, but for us. That our our, our minds would begin to understand. We would have a spirit of wisdom, of revelation. As you read the Word, things are coming out to you and you're beginning to understand things more. That's what growth is. That's what being a part of, of... his people is as we look together and we, we reason together and we see these things. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I was saved a long time before things started clicking. I was saved when I was eight. Just a young boy. Simple childlike faith. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was going to hell. I bowed on my knees, trusted with my heart and asked Him to save me and He did. March 19, 1990. That's been a long time ago. And it was even quite some time before the Scriptures started to open themselves to me. I began to see things. The lights began to come on. And I believe that's what he's talking about. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. We begin to see things in the Scriptures. Things come to to light like they didn't before. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That ye may know, that ye may know for a fact, not that you think of or that you are um unsure of but you know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and verse 19 what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe not only that we would know things of the scriptures but we would know what our hope is we would know what the rewards and the riches of glory that wait for us in heaven and the power that brings it to us. Look in verse 19. What is the exceeding greatness of His power to us? Okay, that's got to be pretty powerful, right? Well, notice how he's going to describe it. In case you have any doubt, in case there's any question, what is the power, the exceeding greatness of the power that works toward us? according to the working of His mighty power, verse 20, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Do you see that? The very power that Christ used when He came out of that grave, that power, the exceeding greatness of that power works for us. This is a promise of Scripture. That power is working for us. And not just for us. Flip over to chapter 3 and verse 14. Not just for us or toward us, chapter 3 and verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all all the fullness of God, listen, now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. What power? That same power is in chapter 1. Not only does that great and mighty power that raised Christ from the dead work for us, it works in us. In me, taking away the sin, changing me, giving me strength, giving me hope, helping me to understand the breadth and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, to know Him more. That power is working in me. Why do I know so? Because the Bible says it. Did you hear that phrase that Paul used and that Jesus used? Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus says, thus it was written, thus it must be performed. Do you understand? This is written. This is written. This is according to the Scriptures. I'm not making this up. I'm not pulling it out. I'm simply reading to you the Word of God. That very Word that He keeps. That very Word that He performs. This is promises for us. It is written that we are not defeated. It is written that we are not downcast. It is written that we are not powerless or aimless or saviorless or helpless. No, that power that brings the dead to life, that power that does what is humanly impossible, That power that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think works in you. It works for you because God promised it would. It's not a maybe. It's not a sort of. It is written. The Bible says so. This is a statement of fact. So we ought to believe it. We ought to live it. We ought to bank on it. But we all know sometimes we fail in that, don't we? Let's be real. <laughs> sometimes we walk around not feeling very resurrected. In fact, we kind of feel beat down. We feel tired. We feel just overwhelmed at times, right? Or we might struggle with kind of falling back into sin. Or, like Paul says in Romans 7 Man, I, there's things I want to do, I just don't do them. In fact, I find myself doing things I hate. All of us can relate to that, can't we? Well, how do we get from there to here? I think the failure to live this out in our own lives is a failure we all have. And I think it's because of the failure to believe it is true in our own hearts. We can read passages like that and say, wow, that would be awesome if only I could do that. (laughs) Well, we can Because it's written in the Word and God keeps His Word. This is a promise God promised us. Because Christ raised from the dead, that power is going to work for you. That power is going to work in you to help you understand, to help you be strengthened with His Spirit, to help you love Him more, to help you walk as you ought to walk. And all I am saying this morning is that if God promised the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and He kept that promise, then He will keep all the promises that He has made to us. This is not make-believe. This is God speaking His Word, and He will keep His Word. The resurrection matters to me, because it proves that God keeps His Word. God will perform it. All of it. Every last bit. So maybe we ought to believe it. And live it. So go and pray for what is humanly impossible. Somebody's facing cancer. Somebody's having medical issues. Or somebody's having even financial issues. Listen, we're not a health and wealth prosperity gospel junk preaching church. Money in the end doesn't matter. But there are people who can... Use some, right? Financial trouble. Or maybe they're facing family struggles. or Who knows what they're facing? Don't pray, please be with so-and-so. We do that, right? Please be with sister, so-and-so. Please be with brother. Ask him how to be with them. Like, heal them. Well, I don't really think he is. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Maybe we ought to start praying that way. Pray for what seems humanly impossible. Stand confident in the power of the Creator God who is your God and works in you and for you. Walk boldly in that power and live to see Him work in ways that will blow our minds. I want to be through some things where I can look back and say, only God did that. It was not me. It was not anything else but Him. It was not as a, us as a church. It was Him working in us. It was Him working for us. So maybe we ought to go and live to see that. God, what are you going to do? Let's do this. Not maybe, you know, if you really think you want to, Lord, maybe perhaps you could. No, Lord, let's do this. Keep Your Word. Not in an irreverent way, but I know what Your Word says. Let's do this. Maybe we ought to live a little bit more like that. Because He is able to do abundantly, exceedingly above all that we ask or think. God is able. Maybe we go out and reach out to those we think unreachable. We reach out lovingly, but not timidly. Declare, preach the gospel. Declare, preach the kingdom. Maybe we ought to live as dead to sin. It has no hold on me anymore. I'm His with His glory, His power anymore. So power in me now. So take those temptations away. I'm not going to slip. I'm not going to fall like I used to. I'm getting better and better by His power working in me. Maybe we ought to live as those who have eternal hope in, in heaven that is laid up and is waiting for us. Riches and the the abundance and the hope of His calling and His inheritance. And so we begin to exchange the ashes of this world for the eternal infinite worth of Jesus. Why? Because all of this is true. All of this word is true. And God will keep and perform every last word of it. He will do what He says. How do I know that? Like, like how do I know that for sure? Listen, some people say this is positive thinking. This isn't just positive thinking. This isn't some rose-colored glasses view of the world. Nor is it some wishful self-deception to reality. This is true even in the darkest of times. God keeps His word. Even in the darkest days that I may walk through, I know God keeps His word. How do I know that? Well, 2,000 years ago, the third day after the resurrection, it was pretty dark in the hearts of the disciples. They thought all that Jesus said was a lie. They thought He was the one, but they killed Him. And where is He at? They were pretty discouraged. They were pretty downcast. They were going through some pretty hard things. But they showed up to that empty tomb to hear three words that validate everything. He is risen. Jesus is alive and He lives forevermore. And in an instant, everything changed for them, didn't it? The darkest day now became the highest high. He kept His Word. He did what He says. He is who He is. And how many times have you been through that in your life? When it was pretty dark and you might have been pretty hopeless. And God knows how He keeps His Word. Time after time after time that's happened in my life. I know all of this is true because He's done what He's told me He would do over and over and over again. And He still is and I trust Him with everything that I am. That's why the resurrection matters to me, because it proves that God keeps His word. So the question is do you believe it? Do you believe all that has been said? You know, He makes some promises about salvation. He tells us what's wrong. We're sinners, separated from God, guilty of our sin, but He makes some promises like if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart, thou shalt be saved. Promises like whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are promises. Those are not ifs. That's the Word of God speaking that if we would humble ourselves, if we would cry out to Him for salvation, for cleansing from our sin, if we would place our trust in Him and the work that He's done on the cross, we will be saved eternally. Do you believe that? I pray that you do. You know, He tells us about getting our lives in line with Him, about getting baptized and being part of His church. He tells us that the church is the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Being part of His body, experiencing what it's like to be with Him and to walk with Him. And the power and the relationship that He has with us, if we would believe. So if your faith is failing this morning, maybe your faith is fading or faltering, maybe you're going through some tough times and some things have shaken your mind and shaken your heart a little bit and you just you want to know what it's like to live in His power, I would simply say, consider the empty tomb. You look to that. And all the promises that were fulfilled in that, All the things that God said He would do and He did. He hasn't changed. He's still God. He still keeps His word. And all the promises that are given to us because of the resurrection, things we'll talk about in the coming weeks. All the promises that are ours because He did what He said. And hold fast and know that God keeps His word. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for all that you've done, thank you for your word. Your faithfulness to Your Word, Lord, that You perform it, You keep it. All the promises that You have given to us and all the, the things that You have done for us just like You said You would, Lord. I thank You for the death of Christ. I thank You for the resurrection of Christ. I thank You for the hope that it brings, Lord. I pray that each one of us know the eternal hope that comes from being saved, Lord. If there is one who does not know that, that You would draw them, place their sin upon their heart and help them to see The eternity that they are facing, Lord, and that they return to Christ before it's everlasting too late. Lord, I ask that we as people of your body would help to you would help us to live in the power of the resurrection, the the power that you work for us and in us, Lord, that we would believe that in our hearts and that we would seek to live in that power and to see you work in our lives, Lord. I ask that you strengthen us. I ask that you guide us, Lord, and just draw us by your spirit. I praise you, give you glory for all that you have done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.